Roll tight, everybody, and welcome to Bama Talk. I'm Steve Sample, along with engineer-producer Mark Phillips at Airwave Recording Studio in Birmingham, Alabama. And we've really been looking forward to this show because we're proud to say we're going to have a real hero in the house today. If you've got any kind of soft spot in your heart for kids at all, you'll like listening to the guy that gave up a chance to make big money for a chance to make a big difference. A man that was a part of the Redwood Forest that passed on the pros to become the patriarch of the Big Oak Ranch. Not many of us take the road less traveled, but because this man took that route, it's turned out to be a highway of hope and healing for hundreds of children that have suffered neglect, abuse, and abandonment. John Croyle was a standout as an athlete at Gadsden High School, one of the best to ever play there. He was a high school All-American in football and basketball for the Tigers and signed a scholarship to play football at Alabama in 1969. He played on Tide teams that went 32-4 and over a three-year span, a record that included appearances in three major bowls, three SEC championships, and one national championship. After his senior year in 1973, he was named a UPI second team All-American, and he became the first recipient of the Paul W. Bryant Alumni Athlete Award. He earned his degree from the University of Alabama in 1974, and the University of Mobile presented him with an honorary LHD, that's a Doctorate of Humanities, in 1991. And there's more. He was a torchbearer at the 1996 Olympics. He was inducted into the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame in 2002 and was honored with the Jefferson County Distinguished Alumni Award in 2009. Now, he's been the subject of articles in more magazines and papers than we even have time to mention, but some of them are Reader's Digest, Sports Illustrated, Southern Living, Focus on the Family, Time Magazine, USA Today, In Touch Magazine, People Magazine, and Cooking with Paula Dean. He's appeared on the 700 Club, the Today Show, ABC Sports Halftime Report, Fox Sports South, CNN News, CNN's Parenting Today, Family Talk, the TNN Music Awards, Robert Shuler's Hour of Power, Jefferson Pilot, a CBS Sun Bowl Halftime Special, and countless appearances on local and regional TV. And he's not the only Croyle we've seen on the big screen. There have been a lot of families play a part in Alabama's football fortunes over the years, and John Croyle's clan is one of those special crimson-clad crews. Most of you knew Brody played quarterback at Alabama, and he made national news himself when Sports Illustrated put his picture on their cover after the Crimson Tide skinned the Gators alive in 05 in Bryant-Denny. Then Brody took that big-time arm to the big leagues and played several seasons with the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, what's remarkable is that his brother-in-law Law played for Alabama too. John David Phillips played quarterback at Bama in the 90s under Gene Stallings and Mike Dubose, and he and Brody both wore that number 12. So John Croyle's family includes three tied football lettermen, including two Alabama quarterbacks that wore that same special jersey number. And John David Phillips joined the family when he married Reagan Croyle, who was a standout on the court with the women's basketball team and stood at the head of the court one year as homecoming queen. So you can count four Alabama letter sweaters on the coat rack at the Croyle house when all the kids come home, but then there's this extended family, and it's a big one. You know it takes some people a long time to find their true calling if they ever do. But here's a guy who found out early in life what he was put on earth to do, and we're really glad to get a chance to talk to him about it today. John, first of all, how are you and T 
in the rest of the Kroll clan doing these days? We are blessed. Our daughter is in charge of all the children at the ranch, and she's doing a great job as well as she has three boys of her own. And then Brody lives in Tuscaloosa, so his mama gets to see him quite often compared to Kansas City. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so he is living in Tuscaloosa. Correct. He oh. retired this year from the league, and five years NFL is a long time. Well, but he also got the pension. Uh, yeah, he's yeah, set. Yeah, come on. He is set. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, now, Reagan, so Reagan has three children. Mm-hmm. When did she graduate? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> right before uh, she had the three yeah, children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She graduated, I think, oh. 2001, something like that. And then um, uh, she married John David Phillips. He's quarterback at Alabama several years ago. Yeah, we're going to talk about that in a minute. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, no son-in-law is good enough. I'll just go ahead and say that. <laughs> Let's get that squared away. As well, I'm, t- well, I'm going to tell you what. Anybody that ever saw Reagan Croyle, a picture of her when she was homecoming queen, had to cut it out and put it on the wall. That is one pretty girl. <laughs> yeah, thank you, thank you. John, She's you know, like, you starred... Uh, at Gadsden High School back in the late 60s. And that kind of coincided with what you know, Bama people saw as kind of a downtime that lasted about five years between that great 66 team and the team you played on that turned it back around in 71. Mm-hmm. What was recruiting like back then for you, and how did your process go that, that led you to be at Alabama? i uh, tell you, one of the best things I can remember about those times, of course, I'm so old now, my memory's fading We'll help each other. Uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Put us together. We got an IQ of six. Okay. But um, to be quite candid, it was uh, much different than it is now, quite obviously. And, for example, um, I met with Coach Bryant, and uh, he just said, here's what Alabama does. Click, 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 click. And then I went to Auburn, and they said, well, here's what Alabama does. Da, 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 da. And I went to Georgia and visited with Tennessee. And, you know, back then, you know, the SEC was still the dominant, you know, team. and uh, Teams, excuse me. And um, at the very end, I just um, sat down with uh, some guys might remember Danny Ford. Oh, yeah. Uh, sat down with Danny Ford and a couple of other guys. Uh, Number 84. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and uh, Christmas Eve uh, in 69, and uh, <laughs> Danny said, what's going to be the problem? I said, there isn't one. <laughs> <laughs> so I committed that night to Alabama, and our good friend, Dude Hennessy, uh, was the one that recruited me. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, so, uh, as a matter of fact, it's quite ironic. I went down as a wide receiver. And, uh, really? And that was my, you know, because I could run, jump, catch. And uh, blew my knee up my freshman year. And then they moved me to defense. And it was a lot more fun being the hitter than the hittee. And uh, anyway, um, uh, Dude Hennessy was my coach uh, for three years. So it worked out great. I, you know, I love talking about Dude because here's somebody that was about five foot six and probably played. Yeah, that's stretching it. Stretching it. At probably played at 175 pounds. He was a defensive end for Coach Bryant at Kentucky. Mm-hmm. But I tell you what, if you could package what he had and as far as heart and intensity, mm-hmm. you'd mm-hmm. never lose a game. Yeah. And 175, let's go down to about 150. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was a little bitty, bitty And guy. 149 of it was mean. Right, right. Hey, you played defensive end in a kind of that 5-2 look where mm-hmm. we had a nose, two tackles, and mm-hmm. two ends. You played in a two-point stance a lot, I remember. Mm-hmm. And like you were just saying, you were long and lean and quick, and you could rush the passer. You know, people talk like Jadavian Clowney is the prototype, but he's just doing what you did 40 years ago. Having played on great defenses at Alabama, what do you enjoy most about watching the way our defenses play in these days? To be quite candid, it's a continuation of just basic football 101. And uh, people ask all the time, what does Coach Bryan and Coach Saban have in common? Well, number one, winning. But the winning is a result of getting good people, surrounding yourself with good coaches and players, obviously, and having the support of the university. But that tenacious focus. They both are just eat up with it. And, of course, Coach Bryant's passed away. But uh, 
spending time with both of them, which I've had the opportunity to do, that just commonality of tenacious focus. And every great man I've ever met that's been successful in his field, uh, you know, for example, you know, Jane Spann, you, me, whoever, uh, they've all got that clear focus. And um, I've copied a lot from Coach Brian over the years. And somebody asked, I did an interview the other day, and they said, what are you good at? I said, really, I'm only good at two things. I said, clear focus, and I'm a good delegator. And I said, I learned that from Coach Brian. And uh, he coached, yes, but uh, he knew how to surround himself uh, with, with good people. As a matter of fact, you may remember uh, at one time he had 42 former assistant coaches or players that were head coaches in D1 or the NFL. Wow. 42. Had you ever been around anybody that knew how to prepare to win like he did before mm. you got to Alabama Mm-mm. or since? No. Until Coach Saban? No. I mean, the, you know, Coach, uh, Coach Bryant, uh, Coach Saban, any successful program, they all have a process, you know, and I remember the very first meeting with Coach Bryant. We walked in. You know, I was 17. I was 6'6". Six, six, I weighed 104. <laughs> and uh, these guys started walking in, and I was terrified. And uh, he looked at us, and he said, uh, we think you're the best athletes in the country. Do not prove to me how good you are. Don't even try to show us what you got. Just join us. Let's win the national championship. And then we went out to practice. That was it. It was clean. And those four sentences dictated the next five years of my life. And if you think about it, clarity, just that clear, clear and like even now, you know, Alabama was up by forty, and somebody jumps offside. Coach Saban goes ballistic, and uh, uh, Coach Brown was a little bit different. He wouldn't quite go ballistic, but one thing I do remember is he would say after the game, you know, and also on Sunday, you know, well, that was my fault, and I <laughs> wish they hadn't done that. But somebody talked to him every Sunday night because Monday it was our fault. <laughs> It's always how it worked out. Yeah, there was a lot of reality on that practice field yeah, Monday afternoon. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you know, you played with a lot of great mm. college players. I, I've had the good fortune to meet and get to know a couple of them. Woodrow Lowe, mm-hmm. so quiet and humble off the mm-hmm. field, and he would mm-hmm. kill you mm-hmm. on the football field. Had a great pro career. Leroy Cook, mm-hmm. a great one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike Dubose, Mike Washington, Charlie Hanna, Chuck Strickland, who tailgates next to us. In oh, bless your heart. Uh, Sylvester Croom, Richard Todd. You know, like you were just saying, you were a great athlete from a good high school program, but the first time you get out on the field and you start really going full speed, you're in a scrimmage situation, or you're all of a sudden now you're you're swimming in the deep end of the pool. What's that like when you're a 17, 18-year-old freshman? When you're back there punting and the kid that snaps the ball to you who's on the freshman team, it's his first time to, to snap, and you catch the ball and you take your step and you look up and three guys are already on you and you hit the ball, excuse me, they hit you and you drop the ball and you look up in the sky, the other end of the stadium, the goal line, the turf, and then you're looking back at the and you land on your feet. Through, that, through the ear hole of your helmet. That's right. And that's the, that was my first scrimmage. And wow. I said, okay. And, of course, that was the last time they let me punt. But uh, – Oh, that would have been fun. Wouldn't it just be a punter and go to the NFL and you know, and work maybe four plays a game? Yeah, that's, that, that's the day you find out you're not in Etowah oh, County anymore, right? right? But uh, anyway, you know, they had, you know, play with John Hanna and John Mitchell and a bunch of those guys. And, and obviously, you know, those teams, you know, were great teams. And people asked, ah, I bet y'all could play with the teams now. Absolutely not. There is not a chance we could compete with today's athletes. They're just far better athletes. You know what's amazing is at the time, John Hanna, who was 6'3", 270, was considered 
huge. Mm-hmm. You can't, you couldn't play on Alabama's no. offensive line or the defensive line no. at an interior position at two seventy. Mm-hmm. Now you'd mm-hmm. get killed. Mm-hmm. You I don't get, care who you are. You get eaten alive. You know, hey, if you had to go to war today with those guys today mm-hmm. that are all in their late fifties now, who'd be the point man in that bunch? Robin Parkhouse, uh, number ninety. Mm-hmm. Parkhouse. Now he almost got killed in Los Angeles in seventy-one. Yeah, but he survived. You know that play that you're talking about. Uh, for those that maybe are <laughs> weren't even born when that play happened, uh, we were playing Southern Cal and uh, we were up. And um, uh, I think the tackle's name was John Vela. He yeah, went, he went and played several years in the uh, league for the Raiders. And he peeled back and hit Parkhouse, and he hit him so hard that it knocked him cross-eyed. It happened right in front of Coach Bryant. He said, "Crawl." And I came running up, put my helmet on, and I'm looking down at Parkhouse. And I'm sitting here looking at one of the meanest men I've ever met. He's sitting there with his eyes crossed, sitting up on the uh, sitting on the field. And he looked up at Coach Bryant. And Coach Bryant grabbed me and says, get Parkhouse. And I'm getting ready to go in. And Parkhouse said, blank, 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 blank. No, I'm going to go back and kill that blank, 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 blank. So anyway, I'm already about four steps on the field. Coach Bryant said, get back. And he jerks me back and when he jerked me back, my feet went out from under me. So my first time to ever set foot on the field for University of Alabama was in the Coliseum, and Coach Bryant's dragging my butt off the field where he jerked me off my feet because Parkhouse. Oh, but that's, that's just, you know, what, what a great memory. And, and only me and Coach Bryant know about that. Cause, uh, you, you know, I'll tell you something else, too. Uh, you may recall, I, I, don't, I, I can't remember if you were there, but that alumni game in 85 when that Stabler came back and dressed uh-huh. out, Joab Thomas, right. the prep. There was a huge crowd at Bryant Denny that day. So I think it's the only time they've ever actually done that. Right. But Robin Parkhouse came back and played. And of course, by then he's in his middle thirties. Sure. And I can remember hanging around after the game, and I was just kind of talking to friends. And mm-hmm. he he climbed up on the on that first that wall there at the first row of steps. He didn't want to leave. He didn't want to take a uniform no, off. No, he didn't. He was. I, I could I could see he was sitting there looking at the field like, mm-hmm. please don't make me go away right. again. Goodness gracious. I got to play in that game, and it was a lot of fun seeing all the guys. And, you know, kids in front of us, you know, outweighed us by, you know, 100 pounds. But we still had – they won 13-7, you know, and that ain't the point. Uh, <laughs> it's just uh, it's just a chance to get to go do it again. But, you know, even even then, um, when I got off the field, I said, God, thank you. I'm alive. <laughs> I mean, I got killed every day. Hey, you, you know, real quickly, too, you know, that, that coaching staff you played under uh, – Ken Donahue, uh, Bill Oliver, Bobby Marks, Malmore, Budmore, mm-hmm. Dude mm-hmm. Hennessy, like we were talking about, John Mitchell. Mm-hmm. When you think about those guys, what stands out about that staff to you? Everyone had the clearness of vision. Now, here's what we got to do to win, and here's how we're going to do it. There was no question about, well, gosh, I don't know what we're going to do or how we're going to make this work. Or what. There was never, ever a doubt and, and, and even, um, I mean, I saw Coach Dye get fired three times in one quarter. <laughs> he was standing next to Coach Bryan, and we're playing LSU, and I'm behind him because I'm waiting to go in, and we're in Baton Rouge. And uh, Coach, <laughs> Coach Dye said, Coach Bryan, we can't do that. And he said, you're blank, blank, blank's fired. Get out of here. <laughs> and then they ran the particular defense Coach Bryant wanted to run, and they gained 30 yards. <laughs> Pat, get back up here. <laughs> so Pat came back up, and Coach Dine and Coach Bryant fixed it up. But he literally got fired three times in one quarter just because he was arguing with Coach Bryant. But that's the key is Coach Bryant surrounded himself with um, men that were committed 
and obviously they they were there for a season and went on and, and his ability to find already motivated people the pat dies the bill olivers you know all those guys workers they they could have been at itawamba junior college freshman team and yep. they'd still had that same tenacity and uh, he just had that gift of finding already motivated people. I get asked all the time, oh, he could motivate. That wasn't his greatest strength. And, of course, Pat Dye had that gift of 50-50 hindsight. Uh, you, <laughs> yeah. I've heard you say before, John, that you were about 19 when you realized you may have a calling that might mean passing up the chance to play pro ball or any other livelihood for that matter. Tell us about how that realization came about for you. Uh, I was a sophomore, and uh, we had, uh, you know, played and having a good time and all that kind of stuff. And I went and worked at a summer camp, and I met a little boy from the streets of Orleans whose mother was a prostitute. And he, he was literally the timekeeper and the banker for his mom. And he would, you know, knock on the door and say, Mama, the next one's here. I got the money. And he handled his mom's business. I told that little boy I could become a Christian. He came out the following year and told me word for word what I had told him the summer before. And I just realized I'd been given a gift. And I, I say this with all humility. There aren't many 19-year-olds that have been tapped and said, here's where your life's going. And I came back and was telling Coach Brian about it. And as a matter of fact, it was my senior year. And we just won the national championship and all that kind of good stuff. And I had been talking with him about it ever since I was 19. And we're, we were finishing up the career. And I said, I'd like to get the money from Pro Bowl and start this home for kids. And he said, don't play Pro Bowl unless you're willing to marry it. Go build that ranch you've been talking about. Never look back. And I say this with all all sincerity, and there's going to be a lot of people not believe, but I've never been depressed. I've been sad. I've been tired. I've been mad. I've been angry. I've been PO'd, but I've never been depressed because I'm just doing what I was built to do. And uh, just old Clivesdale, I just pulled the wagon, just happened to have 113 kids on it right now, and we've had 1,900 live with us over 19? the last, uh, the last uh, 38 years. Our 40th anniversary is coming up uh August the 2nd of 2014. 1900 pulled out of the fire. Mm-hmm. Man, that's that's awesome. It's fun. Uh, did your own childhood experiences have an effect on this? Oh, yeah. Um, to be quite honest, uh, using a football illustration, before every ball game, Coach Ryan would look at us and say, there ain't going to be no pushing, shoving, and all that kind of stuff, which we never could do. Uh, but then he said, okay, in this ball game, there's going to be four or five plays that will determine the outcome of the ball game. You're either going to be the hero or the goat, but just rest assured, you got to play wide open because the plays are coming. And every person, no matter where they are in the world, listen to you and me right now. If I said, give me five plays that made you the way you are, changed your direction of your life, whatever, it might be the loss of a dad, a loss of a child, a marriage, a job opportunity, what, pluses and minuses that make us the men and women that we are. And also molds us into the parents that we are. And I was five years old, and I was playing on a, a tombstone with um, my sister. And I hopped off and went and got on another one, and we were pretending we were racing horses. And uh, the tombstone fell over on top of her and crushed her to death. And I'm sitting there looking at my sister, and blood pouring out of her mouth and her nose. And I'm not being morbid. It's just fact of life. And I'm staring at her. And anyway, I make a long story short. Uh, I remember sitting in the waiting room and I looked around the curtain and I saw the doctor look at my mom and shake his head and I saw her collapse on the floor. And then my dad sat down and said, you know, Lisa's gone to be with Jesus. And I said, well, when's she coming back? You know, because I was five years old. But it was one of those plays. It made me emotionally strong, tough, reserved, whatever word you want to use. You turned a corner that day. Right. That, I was five years old, but that was one of those plays. And so now when I'm looking at a girl that's been sexually abused by her grandfather 
my manhood factor within me wants to rip his throat out and I could easily do it and smile while I'm doing it and never ever ask for forgiveness because I did it for the right reason. But, but. Uh, my focus is the little girl. Just like, you know, it made me emotionally focus on her and, and even listen, anyone listening to this right now would be so. I found a girl, you know, 12 years old raped by her father while her mother held her down. My focus was her, not the father or the mother. And so that's what we do now is that clear focus. We'll all be held accountable. Oh, yeah. yeah, And and whatever uh, punishments are meted out for those kinds of offenses later Mm -hmm. on will far surpass anything Uh, our judicial system can uh, inflict uh, on us. And we both know that. John, you had to find a place. You had to have property. You had to have a house. You had to have furniture, uh, silverware, everything a home has to have and accept a lot of it. And you had to have help. How'd you get started? Uh. You mentioned a while ago Woodrow Lowe. I was speaking with Woodrow Lowe uh, in the spring of uh, 74. We just played, you know, three months earlier in that championship game with uh, uh, Notre Dame in the Sugar Bowl. And, I was uh, there. Uh, yeah, it was a tough game. And uh, we just ran out of time. And uh, no, I take that back. Oh, right, back up. We were ahead 23 21. I got knocked out with two and a half minutes left to go in the game. And them suckers lost it. I leave them alone for two and a half minutes, and they lose the stinking game. I got on the bus. I was so mad at them. I said, I leave y'all alone. You can't put the game away. And we lost 24-23. But uh, anyway, uh, (laughs) it is fun. But um, we came back, and my dad picked me up at the airport. He said, I got something I want to show you. And he carried me out to what is now Big Oak Boys Ranch. And a friend of mine in Birmingham gave us 15000 And then a former teammate, uh, John Hanna, um, gave us uh, a gift. And that was um, the money that we used to purchase the land. And I moved out there by myself. And within two weeks, had five boys. And the girl I was dating, uh, her name is uh, Teresa Smith. I call her T. Uh, everywhere we went, we had five boys with us. And so uh, she she's the fool. I mean, she married into this. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I was just fixing to ask you. Now, at, some, at what point along in this Teresa T., comes into the picture and goodness gracious does she deserve a medal oh, yeah. and a lifetime achievement uh, award every day uh, where do you find i mean that's just gold she's just got to be the princess of the world for she, you she's just i i use the term she's stud uh, don't mess with her uh <laughs> and thing about it she doesn't travel with me when i speak uh she says i'm home with the children and that was her gift and our son and daughter are the way they are because of her i had a little bit to do with it but mainly because of her and um the, the key to I, I use this as a semi kind of joke, but I'm serious too. The measure of a man's quality is how far above himself he marries. Dang, I'm high quality because oh. I married way above myself. <laughs> but uh, the the fun the fun part is uh, after 38 years, she's still still hanging in there, and even now she teaches calculus and algebra at our high school. So um, she she's still a stud. Okay, and speaking of the high school, you're talking about Westbrook. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, about 1990 or so, mm-hmm. all of a sudden we've got. Of course, we now had started out with the boys' ranch. Mm-hmm. Later on, the girls' ranch, mm-hmm. um, and, and now about 1990, Westbrook Christian School. Mm-hmm. How did that come about, and how's it going with Westbrook these days? We took the school over in 1990. Uh, they were bankrupt. They were getting ready to close the school down. They gave us 30 acres of property, a uh, small little gym, and uh, uh, a pasture they called a football field for $1. And uh, we took it over. And so now, damn, then till now, um, we've had several of our kids go on and uh, play in college. Of course, one you know went to school there and, and played the NFL, our son. And um, 
uh, right now, uh, we've got 620 kids in the school, wow. and uh, all the bills are paid. We owe no man any money. And uh, that's how we operate not only the school but the ranch also because we are not going to go in debt and we are not going to take federal money because I do not want Obama come telling me how to raise kids. People, I want you to know right now, you're just listening. This is not uh, – there's no visual here, but I got both hands in the air. <laughs> I'm telling you what. Uh, I'm, are you thinking about running for president? Nope. Okay. Absolutely not. Yeah, too I'm, smart. Uh, nope, no, no, no. <laughs> you got no, too I, much business I, sense. I'm just a Clydesdale. <laughs> I just pull a wagon. Okay. The, uh, the first kids – the first kid you brought in. And I know you've had kids that have come from situations mm-hmm. that are horrendous. Mm-hmm. Tell us real quickly about that first bunch of kids. First five boys. Uh, one we got out of a box car at Goodyear and Tire Rubber Company. One we got out of a Volkswagen. One we got out of a million dollar home in New Orleans. One we got out of a barn. Uh, and one we got out of a uh, shack house up in Boston, Massachusetts. Those were the first five. The oldest one is now 57 years old. Goodness gracious. And um, so... Uh, we are already locating the first uh, 2,000 kids, and we're inviting them to come back for the 40th anniversary party because it's about them. And we're taking the outfield fence of the Hank Aaron athletic field, uh, and um, we're going to have um, probably about 10,000 pictures along the wall and let the kids come back and let them see themselves and also show their families what they look like when they were little. For, for most of them, their families have no pictures. That is just Awesome. It's fun. John, you know, the, the, the game clock's running down on us here, but I want to share a quick story uh, we talked about before. Uh, I just happened to catch you doing a fundraiser on TV probably 15, 16, 17 years ago. Being an Alabama grad, a Tuscaloosa native, and a, and a big football fan, I was very, very familiar with you as a player, and I knew you were doing this ranch thing, and I just never really paid that much attention to it. But as I watched the program that day that I just kind of stumbled across uh, – and listen to you talk, um, I was very moved. And I'll confess that I was ashamed that it had never occurred to me before that day to help in some way. I began making you know, some meager contributions and donated a few household items. In fact, I even had a um, guy bring a van down and gave him some furniture one time. But I'm going to pledge to you right here and now that I'll begin making regular contributions with the check I'm going to hand you before you leave. And I want to encourage everybody listening to give serious thought to helping in whatever way you can. Now, get something to write with because I'm going to give you their contact information before we sign off. And before we get out of here, John, uh, and, and gosh, I wish we had about another hour. Uh, you're gonna have to come back and visit again, okay? Uh, I would love to. I hope you'll let me come back. Yeah, yeah. We're, and we're gonna have to do it when we can go longer. Uh-huh. We'll just bring some coffee and sit down there and have go. at it. There you go. <clears throat> before we before we sign off, this is worldwide. We're talking to people, Alabama fans, football fans, or maybe somebody that's just bored and didn't have anything better to do than listen to me and you talk. Mm-hmm. What What do you want to say? First off, somebody wants to ever. Check on us. Make sure if we're the real deal or not. Just go to bigoak.org, and uh, we'll do that. But, you know, everybody here that's listening to us, most of them have children. I want to tell you two things. Number one, there's two things your child will have to have if they're going to make it. they got to know you love them and believe in them. I didn't say believe them. I said believe in them. And two things your child will never forgive you for or maybe have a hard time forgiving you for, and that's not trying and giving up and I mean, that not trying to give up that, that happens a lot and then no discipline uh, discipline your child and I'm not talking about beat them and abuse them discipline them we treat our pets like children and our children like pets 
And what your child hears repeatedly, they eventually believe. And if your child hears that you're a champion and they can be anything they want to be and they know their mom and daddy love them, ah, there ain't nothing they can't do. And and my, my childhood, my dad looked at me every day and said, you can do anything if you want to do it bad enough. And that's why the ranch exists, along with God's blessings. John, it is a blessing for me to get to share some time with somebody that has been a blessing to so many people. Thank you so much. We want to have you back as soon as we can get you back, okay? Let's make it happen. You say hello to T and all the all the folks up there, and roll tide. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Folks, if you'd like to know more about the Big Oak Ranch and how you can help them take care of all those kids, their web address is bigoak.org. Their mailing address is P.O. Box 507, Springville, Alabama, 35146. And you can reach them by phone at area code 205-467-6226. Well, the guys on our basketball team played their guts out in the game against LSU and Baton Rouge the other day, taking it all the way to triple OT before coming up one bucket short. But Trevor Relliford had a career night against the Corn Dogs with 36 points, so there were some bright spots in the setback against the Bayou Tigers. But the bovine kind comes to Coleman Coliseum Tuesday night, and as we all know, the team that loses the Iron Bowl presents the ODK trophy to the winning team at halftime of the Alabama-Auburn basketball game. And one of the best parts of the presentation involves the student body president of the losing school, Auburn, singing the winning team's fight song, which isn't near as much public humiliation as some Bama students and supporters would like to see, but the university's legal staff frowns on floggings. Then somebody suggested maybe having him explain what Weagle Weagle means while he spends a couple of minutes on the business end of an electric cattle prod, and that would seem fitting for some of our more fervent fans, but hey, if somebody will just make sure his singing shows up on YouTube, that ought to scar him for pretty much the rest of his life. And since this makes the fourth time in the last five years the Tides won the trophy, he should know the lyrics pretty well. So if you're in the area and can make it, the game against Auburn is Tuesday night in Tuscaloosa at 6 p.m., so come on out and support the basketball team and watch the football team take the trophy again at halftime. It'll be televised on ESPNU for those of you who can't make it or don't have a ride. And speaking of rides, by the way, when an Auburn co-ed breaks up with her boyfriend, does he get a Dear John letter or a John Deere letter? Anyway, Coach Saban has made two coaching hires recently that ought to help rev up recruiting in some of the hotter spots for high school talent. Mario Cristobal is the new offensive line coach. He played at Miami and was head coach at Florida International for several years, so he knows that fertile South Florida recruiting area really well. Billy Napier is a young, high-energy guy known as a great recruiter that just spent a year at Colorado State with Jim McElwain. He was an offensive quality control staffer at Bama in 2011. Before that, he spent six years on the staff at Clemson, and he also helped sign a top-ten class when he was recruiting coordinator at FSU. Combined with bringing Kevin Steele back as director of player personnel, these hirings make it clear Coach Saban has turned up the high school talent search another notch, so it'll be fun to watch. We want to remind all you Bama guys and gals that if you got pals that still haven't found what they're looking for when it comes to talking about Bama, but they might like to listen in, let them know they can find the show in the podcast section of iTunes or on Stitcher or at BigBrainsMedia.com. The downloads and subscriptions are free, and when you hit that subscribe button, it saves and stores every episode so you can listen to any or all of our shows anytime you like, as much as you like, at no charge. There's also a free podcast app available for your smartphone or mobile device so you can listen to the show on the go. Like when you're driving to the game Tuesday night, 
or when you're driving your LSU friend to a detox clinic, or while you're Googling mustache wax for Notre Dame majorettes. We want to be a part of all that. Live united with Bama Talk. Hey, don't forget to check out our Bama Talk Facebook page. We're getting all kinds of feedback from Bama fans all over the world, and we want to hear from you too. Feel free to share any of the pics and posts you see on the page, and if you'd like to contact me, my email address is steve at bamatalkshow.com. I've already gotten a few suggestions from fans of other teams, but I'm going to keep doing the show anyway. But the game clock's telling us it's time to head for the locker room, so for Mark Phillips, James Spann, and all the folks behind Bama Talk Show at Big Brains Media, we had a ball, y'all. Till next time, take care, have a blessed day, and roll tide.